so stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? A Bender brother wins in a MotoGP weekend, and Jamie Chadwick is your W Series champion. Must be King's birthday. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Man, this weekend has been peak my birthday weekend. <laughs> KTM are in the headlines, and your girl made history as the first W Series champion. How does it feel? I just want your head back. <laughs> <laughs> promise we uh, promise we won't tease you too much. Yes, I I um, promise nothing. On behalf of your friendly neighborhood host, Andre Arison, we are RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. We are Motorsport 101. Welcome to episode 207 of this fine podcast, where among the many things we'll talk about, the MotoGP Austrian Grand Prix and a last lap thriller as Andrea Davizioso passes Mark Marquez on the very last corner to maintain Fortress Ducati's unbeaten record at the Red Bull Ring, in which we'll also talk about Brad Bender's win, and hey, some some other guy won a Moto3, some guy named Fanati, I, I guess he's, he's okay, I guess, sure. Um, we'll talk about the brand finale, W Series and DTM at Brands Hatch, Alice Powell taking the final victory of the Simi, and Jamie Chadwick winning the title over Bietzka Visser, in what was a pretty awesome race. But we want to get into the news here first, because uh, a lot Holy happened. shit! Yeah. So for reference, um, developments on the day of recording mean that McLaren and Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports entering a merger for 2020 is now the second biggest news story in our set list. <laughs> Man... Man, who 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 did we like offend? Cause I swear I didn't say I didn't say one word, not one word. Like, <laughs> who haven't we offended? <sighs> please, uh, <sighs> please. Actually, I'm I'm not gonna tell everybody to at Lewis side of be twenty three this time. <laughs> Places you can find us. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, you can at Harrison 101 HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, that's with two N's and two L's, and at C Buckley 917, that's with no vowels. Everything you can find related to our podcast. Written Works is at motorsport101.com, and you can back us financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 for just $5 a month. You can get access, early access, to all of our shows for $10 a month. We will let you into the supporters club of our Discord section, provided, of course, that you meet the minimum dress code requirements. We have those, right? Uh, we, we have, uh... We have topics of conversation that will immediately get you kicked from the VC. Um, these these wouldn't happen to involve uh, personalities in events that we will be talking about, right? 
we'll leave that for them to find out. If no they one decide. say anything <laughs> bad about King's girlfriend. Whoa, whoa, Tony, whoa. Vincent, Jason. Josette, Henry, and Brian are all listening to the show. Before we all kill each other, let's get into the news. Oh my god, Red Bull, you actually fucking did it, you (laughs) mad sons of bitches. We had the Hungarian Grand Prix. In it, a race where Pierre Gasly was lapped by his teammate and runner-up Max Verstappen, Christian Horner maintained that Pierre was probably going to stay in the car for the rest of the season. Eight days later, it turns out his word is about as reliable as his 2018 car was. So for the second time in three years, Red Bull demotes one of their own, as Gasly goes back to Toro Rosso with Alex Albon heading the other way. It's a move that many had speculated and teased, but to actually see it happen is no less shocking. For Pierre Gasly, it's been the cherry on top of what's been a miserable sophomore year in F1. Make no mistake, he's been a massive disappointment and his demotion is somewhat understandable. He's probably the main reason Red Bull can't make a run at Ferrari for second in the championship. But that's the risk you run when you promote a rookie to a top tier seat, and maybe a little bit too quickly too. Let's not forget, his teammate is Max Verstappen, a man who's been arguably the best driver in F1 pound for pound for the last year. When that's your yardstick, you've been shown the door after just 12 races, it makes you wonder what he could have done. A borderline unwinnable situation for someone we saw, and should still see, as an exceptional talent. And that's not the only element of this swap that's saddening. This should be a wonderful story for Alex Albon. 18 months ago his career looked like a dead end in Formula 2. Talented, but lacking funding and question marks remained over his long term future. He was virtually nailed on to drive for Nissan's Formula E team. Now he's getting a golden chance to race half a season with a team that has the potential to win Grand Prix. But now he's under extreme pressure to succeed immediately. Red Bull more or less said in its press release that this was going to be a guinea pig run for the permanent second Red Bull seat for 2020. Albon's future isn't any more secure here, and if we're being critical, he's not exactly set the world alight either. 6 and 6 in qualifying battles against his teammate, and a 3 and 6 record in races they've both finished. If Gasly was risky at the start of the year, replacing him for a guy who only has 12 career starts is even riskier, and I personally am struggling to see the benefits. I also worry, given this team's horrible reputation, that he could just be another guy chewed up and spat out by the system. And not to mention, by any measure, Daniel Kvyat's return to F1 has been excellent. The German podium, a reminder of his class, the first for Toro Rosso in 11 years. Proof that getting your head back in line and grinding out results can pay off. But let's not remind ourselves of how we got to this point. A near carbon copy Cullen three years ago that undeservedly damaged a chunk of the man's career. And he got overlooked again here for Albon, when Kvyat was clearly the safer bet. I get he's not the sexy pick due to him being a known quantity, but how many times can you gloss over a guy with clear ability? 
Personally, I think Dr. Marco would rather stick his nuts in a food blender than admit he got it wrong on Danil, but who knows what goes on in their business meetings these days. This is the risk that Red Bull is taking. In their desperation to fight for the silver medal, they risk alienating their entire fleet of current drivers because none of them is as good as Max Verstappen, the man they already sacrificed everything for to get to this point. Max kicked up a stink and threatened to leave just after Kvyat had that hometown crash three years ago. He vetoed a promotion for Carlos Sainz last year. Carlos himself, now probably laughing as the academy he left, implodes on itself yet again. It may even be a factor as to why Lando Norris is now there too, given Toro Rosso was a contender for his services when he was still in Formula 2, actively shopping their staff as part of the deal. By any measure, this is a mess for a Red Bull camp whose academy is sometimes a bit too good. I've made countless episodes on this channel of this show on their relentlessly brutal treatment of drivers that aren't S-tier prospects. And I've barely even glossed over Daniel Ricciardo's departure from last year, the third most successful driver they've ever had and the biggest rising star of the hybrid era to date. Those who fail to heed history are doomed to repeat it. Once again, Red Bulls put themselves in a pickle that they didn't need to be in and may cause yet more damage to young drivers' careers they claim to believe in. One can only hope said talent finds a way to shine like it so often does. Sadly, this only seems to happen outside of Red Bull's own system. I don't want Pierre to be another statistic, another notch on Red Bull's bedpost of drivers who've made a mockery of their academy by succeeding outside their umbrella. He's in a rough patch, and as a Sebastian Vettel fan, I can certainly relate. I just hope his new teammate reminds him that you can come out of the other side. And for the sport's sake, I hope Red Bull's ruthlessness ends before more careers are damaged beyond repair. It's the story that's jumped the day. Pierre Gasly is moving back to Toro Rosso. Alex Albon, the rookie, is moving up to Red Bull Racing. Sweet Jesus! Kvyat's just looking over like, first time, huh? First time. I, I... I thought we lived in a world where we didn't have to deal with mid-season F1 driver changes anymore. It wasn't but, but a little <laughs> over a week ago that Red Bull team principal Kristen Horner gave Pierre Gasly the old vote of confidence. You know, the thing that people give Premier League managers when you know they're about to get fired? Saying that Gasly was going to see out the 2020 season. And now, just eight days later, he has been demoted back to Toro Rosso. Now, Xander Albon... The third place man in the Formula 2 series, who again, 18 months ago, was very close to quitting with no funding and no immediate future, he's now going to one of the prime seats on the F1 grid alongside Mats Verstappen. Talk about a baptism of fire, holy shit. <laughs> I, I know Pierre has struggled, I've said my piece that, you know, I, I think he's a much better driver than his results indicate. But I would have had no problem if Red Bull had just said, okay, at, at the midpoint in the season about Canada or France, it's just like he has to start performing or he will be demoted by the time we get to the midway point of the season. I would have had no problem with that. Yes, it would have seemed cruel, but it wouldn't seem like you were leading him on to believe that he was safe to go for the rest of the season. And then, boom, you flip the switch on this. That's what I have a main problem with. I have to agree. Um, just be straight up with it. 
you know, F1 is already full of enough bullshit as it is. Right. We're not going to bullshit you. And we're not going to bullshit you and tell you that Pierre Gasly's performance was not costing Red Bull a genuine shot at second of the World Constructors Championship. It was. Yeah. I mean, with the utter collapse of Ferrari's pace, coupled to Verstappen just killing it in that car. Right. It's it, there's it's simple math. You know, you look at the standings. Gasly's points total is costing them second in the World Constructors, and by a margin as well. Right. He's not even averaging in the top six, which would be the absolute bare minimum that what you would expect for driving for one of the top three teams who have a clear gulf between themselves and everybody else in the field and have had for a number of years. That's my first point I want to make. The second, Daniel Kvyat just gave Toro Rosso a podium finish in his first year back. And by not giving them this opportunity, you've kind of given credence to the people who cynically believed when he was first brought back that Danny Kvyat was just a stopgap option until they can find somebody else. Because keep in mind, it was at that point when they signed him for 2019 that Red Bull were trying to move the earth, the mountains, and the heavens above to try and get Dan Tictum 40 super license points. Now he's gone, and the next people up are Yuri Vips, who's killing it in Formula 3, and Pato Award, who's doing a complete career 180. Yeah, and as it stands, they simply don't have the license points to enter Formula 1. They're at least a year away, maybe more. Red Bull's hands are tied on this one. They did say that they're using the net nine races to evaluate who will drive alongside Matt's in 2020. So by that definition, Daniel is not completely out of it. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he gets passed over again and he's forced to look elsewhere for opportunities to advance up the grid. But on that note, looking forward to 2020, it, Red Bull can't sweep the decks at Tarasso. That's not realistic. No. They don't have enough personnel to fill those gaps. Right. No, I mean, right now they're in a situation where if Albon doesn't work out and he's as far off the pace uh, to, to uh, Max as Gasly was, they have Max, and then their only three drivers who they can realistically have in the seats are all damaged goods. Right. Because this demotion, I don't know how Pierre will react. I would assume that being under less pressure would help him, and the Toro Rosso is not a bad car. It's not as capable as Red Bull, but it's not like he's going back to Williams, or heaven forbid being left off the grid at all. I don't know which one would be worse for him. (laughs) Williams. Right. And that gets me to my next point about Alexander Albon. He's a great guy. He's worked very hard to get to this point. Again, 18 months ago, he wasn't sure if he would continue racing. He was on a race-to-race deal in Formula 2. Then suddenly, he became a title contender, got a Formula E drive, backed out of that for one last shot at Formula 1, which has now turned from a Toro Rosso drive to a Red Bull drive. He is a very likable young guy and a very talented racing driver. But my fear is that he is being put in a position where he cannot succeed. Alongside Mats Verstappen in his prime, in a team that is built and designed around Mats Verstappen, for Mats Verstappen, almost by Mats Verstappen. (sighs) That's my worry. The the deck is kind of stacked against him in that regard. And as you said earlier, we know that Gasly has achieved enough that we know he's better than what he's shown in the Red Bull. Again, but, to list his credentials, the only person that beat him in 2014 in the Formula Runner 3.5 series was arguably the man Red Bull should have had in the first place, Carlos Sainz Jr. 
He was 2016 JP2 Series Champion. He was 2014 Super Formula Runner-Up. Pierre can drive. He was not getting the most out of that car, but the man could drive. Yeah. And and for me, the really big worry is, as I said, if Albon's just as far off the pace, I mean, are they going to put Kafiat in next when we know that he and Max would have a horrible relationship because of what happened in 2016? I also, um, this is going to sound very wild and very out there, but there is not... He's not a Red Bull driver, but he's tangentially related to Red Bull, has enough super license points. I don't know if he'd be willing to go to F1, but uh, Naoki Yamamoto has enough super license points to go to F1. I would love that, and so... I I know, Cam, you and I have discussed this. That would be awesome. But the thing that I worry about is... They wouldn't take a risk on a guy who's going to turn 32 next year, who's come out of the same series where people will say, well, Stoffel Van Dorn and Pierre Gasly came out of there and they were both bust. Why would you take a chance on UGE Day 2? And I know he's much better than that. Yeah, but, I mean, the problem with Yamamoto is for as brilliant as he, as he is, and he's a fucking brilliant racing driver, Japan double champion. He's 32 years old. That's not a long-term plan. Exactly. That's why it would work for Red Bull. They don't have to keep him long term. They just have to wait till the next Red Bull Junior is ready. But how long might that be? What happens if they're not ha- if Pat O'War gets another opportunity elsewhere? And we'll talk about this next. What happens if Yuri Vips doesn't turn out to be Estonia's next great hope? Who knows? All I know yep. is I'm hoping. I'm hoping that Alex Albon can it can show signs of improvement for a team that needs it. I hope that Pierre Gasly can bounce back. I hope that Daniel Kvyat can find opportunities, um, whether it be within the Red Bull family or outside of it, to succeed. Because, to me, it's all a mess. This whole situation gives more <laughs> firepower mess. to all of Red Bull's detractors. For very good reasons. Yeah, I mean, they've they've made this bed by burning their whole driver academy. First on Max, and then, you know, after Max, as you said, they moved everything trying to get Tictum in that seat, and then Tictum shot all over Honda and didn't have two world championships to back him up on it. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the other thing, is that where this all stems from, letting Verstappen and Sainz's professional relationship at Toro Rosso get to the point where the two of them just could not work together. Because if they could work together professionally, if things hadn't deteriorated over 2015 and 16, that would be an absolutely, that would be an incredible lineup. But they can't have that now. Not for another few years. No, that bridge is gone. And it's it's not like they could sign some amazing junior driver into their academy because the junior ladder right now is pretty barren, to be honest. Yeah, and it's another symptom of what's going on in F1 where you've got all the different young driver programs and they just go straight up. If they get up into uh, F1, they just go up into the B team or primary team of who they're contracted to. Yeah. And it, the thing is everyone who would populate like the junior series at the moment, who would be in their late teens or early twenties, like a spectacular F2 driver, they're in F1 right now. They're all in F1 right yeah, now. They're all right. either in F1 or they're already <laughs> contracted to another team. Right. Before we oh. before we poo-poo on this 2019 class in Formula 2, let's just forget we got real lucky in 2018 to have the top three in the championship come up all at once. 
Yeah, all at once. Set through me through the years of 2012, 13, and 14, and then come back to me about how bad 2019 is. <laughs> it, it ain't even that bad. Hi, Davide Valsecchi. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Fabio Fab- Limer, where are you at? Where is Fabio Limer at? That's what I really want I to think know. he's in block pen now. I don't even think he's there. Well, Davide found a much better gig, and that is, of course, as the uh, as the as the subject of the latest distracted girlfriend meme. <laughs> oh no! Well, and also uh, for being the most enthusiastic man to ever commentate anything. It's Davide has the same problem that Jim Ross has. Whenever you hear Jim Ross on commentary in WWE video games. He sounds like he's running at about a quarter energy, and it's the same with Davide when you listen to him in F1 2019. Yeah. <sighs> All of this, and now this story has now been demoted to second place on our news list. McLaren is back in, for- in IndyCar. McLaren is back in IndyCar, and they're joining forces with Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports and Chevrolet full-time for 2020. Arrow, McLaren, Racing, SP. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I do feel uncomfortable calling it a partnership, though. But we'll we'll run down the details first before we get into the nitty-gritty of what is actually happening. Yes, this just broke on Friday that McLaren Racing will return to full-time competition in the NTT IndyCar Series through a strategic partnership with Aeroschmidt-Peterson Motorsports and Chevrolet. Key being important here because, again, McLaren and Honda, they don't have the best relationship right now, shall we say. So, Um, Chevrolet it is. If I recall the quote that was uh, tossed around when... McLaren called Honda for an engine this year for Indy. Go find your engine somewhere else. Well, they did. Under the partnership, the team will be renamed Aero McLaren Racing SP and will field two Chevrolet Power Cars net season, reflecting the continuing status of Aero Electronics as the team's title partner, as well as a new manufacturer partnership with Chevrolet. Uh, Jill DeFerrin will lead the McLaren IndyCar program and involvement in Aero McLaren Racing SP. He will lead a dedicated fruit from McLaren Racing independent of the Formula One team. Um, Co-founders Sam Schmidt and Rick Peterson continue in their current roles as co-owners of the team. Hopefully, Zach Brown will not be having to dig around for steering wheels. Just paint the goddamn car the right color of orange! Please! So, James Hinchcliffe has weighed in. His future with the team seems to be sure, but man, that's a big blow because he was Honda Canada especially. He was their lead man. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Honda doesn't have a whole team of drivers they can just go edit into those commercials, but that is a huge representative of Honda over in North America. Mm. Now fighting for the enemy. Yeah, and we know that Marcus Erickson, as, as funny as he's been to watch an IndyCar might be underperforming the potential of his equipment, even though he can build a race car in five minutes. We've seen those SPM skits. Um, but if not Ericsson, who do they get next? Well, the rumors oh. that have been tossed around have pointed to potentially Felipe Nazar, currently driving for Action Express Racing in IMSA. Uh, so, essentially, I've seen so many articles written about this. So, the one that you referenced uh, is mainly the one written for the monolith by David Mulcher, where he throws out two 
two possible contenders, one being Felipe Nazar and the other being Nicholas Latifi. Spicy. Yes, Formula 2, second in standings. Uh, Robin Miller also put out a column. His list is a lot more um, extensive, to say the least. Well, of course it is. (laughs) You gotta cover all the bases. That way, if you're wrong, you're only wrong by a little bit. So, running down his list, the contenders include Colton Herta, uh, obviously James Hinchcliffe, Marcus Erickson, Connor Daly, Santino Ferrucci, Pato Award, Spencer Piggott, uh, Ed Jones, Tony Kanan, Mateus Leist, Oliver Askew, Renus VK, Felipe Nazar, Nicholas Latifi, and uh, every dream- free agent. <laughs> And his final dream pick is Fernando Alonso, where, uh, quote, we all want to see Fred back at Indy in a competitive car, but but watching him at, at Road America or Long Beach or Iowa would be, would be an added pleasure. Who knows? He might... He might want to run a half dozen IndyCar races, and I'll buy his sloppy Joes in Iowa, end quote. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently there will also be a third car in the mix. Not full-time, maybe just for Indy. So where does this leave Fernando Alonso, who, despite earlier speculations and reports from Motorsport Magazine, the other sport magazine, um, McLaren and Fernando Alonso, still tight. Um, Alonso's apparently going to do Dakar, not doing the WEC, so he's got a lot of time left after January and February. Oh, he already picked the WEC clean. But he's already stated he does not want to race in the IndyCar series full-time. He just wants to do Indy. Yeah, he's kind of where that third car comes in. It's probably just going to be Indy, and it's probably just going to be Alonso in the third car. (laughs) (laughs) And one other person that we have not discussed yet, because... We know that before this deal was done, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports made a promise to one man that when he is ready and able to come back, Robert Wickens will have a car ready for him to drive. And that commitment will still carry on through the new partnership, which is good to see. Because, man, if they had broken off that partnership, that would have been just terrible PR. Just the worst. And uh, as always and forever, there is only one Robert Wickens. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's going to be really interesting because with that partnership, you know, McLaren or not, they can't get embarrassed the the way they did last time out. We can't be going through the article having Dre having a mental breakdown as he reads each sentence. Not with that many resources. Yeah, this is combining one of the, really an upper, an upper tier team in IndyCar with a team of the resources of McLaren. And with an engine which is pretty good, considering what Simon Pagano did with it this year. Yeah, and all things considered, it does help tilt the balance of power, which was kind of getting skewed towards Honda's side, where basically Chevrolet had Petsky and nobody else to work with. Now they do have another upper-tier team with which they can pull resources from. I like this move. Yeah, I just can't wait to see... I, uh, uh, I feel otherwise. I'm very iffy about this move. I think it might lead to a situation where there might be too many cooks trying to maneuver this massive McLaren-Smith-Peterson boat. Mm. Like, uh, John Flack, Tony Keel, uh, Sam Smith, and Rick Peterson have done a great job (laughs) so far. But now you're throwing in both Jill DeFerrin and Zach Brown. And it's clear based on the the conference call that, that they had to announce the deal, Zach Brown does have some kind of executive control over this team. 
Noted purchaser steering wheel, Zach Brown. <sighs> and Jill DeFerrin, I would... You know, a guy who's won back-to-back national championships and in Indianapolis 500, I would hope he would be able to be a competent leader of the team. Uh, do we need to discuss Jill DeFerrin's own foray into team ownership? Oh, oh yeah, I think hey, I remember that. Hey, he gave us Simon Pagano. <laughs> that is the only thing that he gave us. Uh, so that will be something to watch. Let's cut back to uh, to some minor F1 stories here. First, Mexico is back on the calendar. But wait, hold on. I'm seeing Mexico City? The Mexico City Grand Prix. Oh, they're not going away. They got the deal done. Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. On the calendar through 2022, we were worried that the Mexican Grand Prix might fall off, but... Mexican Grand Prix is no more. Long live La Grande Premio de Ciudad de Mexico! Oof. And that... Mm, that, that that also segues into another story that's mentioned where Mercedes-Benz has officially stated that they, they won't interfere on whether Liberty Media chooses to have or not have the German Grand Prix next year. Yeah, so in other words, if the German Grand Prix is coming back, it's not going to be because Mercedes are footing the bill. You think yeah, they think they would have been different if they had won the race instead of having two uh, massive fuck-ups <laughs> at the German the, Grand Prix? The, the token Mercedes meltdown race of the year. <laughs> Chernobyl size. God. Um, but yeah, I've heard it discussed like, well, it makes sense that it's a Mexico City Grand Prix and not the Mexico Grand Prix because, hey, it's not the United Arab Remember the United Arab Emirates that pays for the race in Yas Marina. It's Abu Dhabi. Yeah, that does make sense. That just yeah. yeah, a little. Um, King, what's this about synthetic fuels? Ooh, ooh. Well, the the boys up over at Liberty Media feel like a not. Not enough is being made of uh, F1's extremely efficient engines, and they are hoping to launch a PR campaign to push F1's green credentials. And they are going to be working with a number of petrochemical companies that are already within F1 to invest in developing synthetic fuels. You know, not breaking up the travel so that way you're not you traveling as much with overseas freight or you know helping to develop a more fuel efficient way to travel to carry the freight overseas no more synthetic fuels more synthetic fuels so for those who don't know synthetic fuels is they're still technically fossil fuels but obviously they're not they're not, you know, drilled and refined like traditional synthetic fuels. They're, you know, refined in a laboratory. And um, pretty much technically on paper it is green, but they still emit carbon dioxide just like any other fuel. But here's the catch here. You can develop synthetic fuel from captured CO2 that was captured from the atmosphere. So technically it's renewable. Hmm. This is uh this is all very fascinating. And I'm sure because it's all they because some people will hear the words alternative fuel and eco-friendly, F1 Anorax will fucking hate it. 
Even if we it'll have no actual... We need to reach engines, and we need to put <laughs> so many things in the fuel. Come on, people. Listen, I won't support F1 until they start adding rolling cold diesel engines into this sport. <laughs> oh, my God. Audi Sport has entered the chat. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically, in sh- short, the, the most green part about synthetic fuel isn't the fuel itself. It's a fact that... Uh, the way it's developed is green and the fact that it reuses carbon that was captured from the atmosphere obviously would it's obviously a very good thing i thought the it, fuel itself i thought it was just because it was dyed green when you pour it it's just like it's a green color kind of like how royal purple is purple oh lord so uh surprisingly enough actual gasoline has like a yellowish tint to it uh synthetic fuel is perfectly clear like water <laughs> Yo, we could get the rainbow of fuels just like we had the rainbow of tires a couple of years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, We see the Ferrari being fueled up with the uh, the prime fuel. Yes, yes. Going with the option fuel. Speaking of Ferrari and fuel, rumors point to Ferrari introducing their third power unit spec at Spa Mm. in conjunction with the new fuel from Shell. Mm-hmm. Could potentially bring up to 20 horsepower, and more importantly, might help their fuel consumption because, oh my god. Yeah, it ain't good, Chief. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about Penske. Jay Penske, who made a very <laughs> good decision with his Formula E team. He was rumored to be joining the, pe- the Porsche Formula E squad. That all fell to the wayside when they signed Andre Lauder. But Brendan Hartley is coming to Formula E in 2019-20 with Giotts Dragon Racing. The heart attack returns. The heart attack returns. I this should this. not be that should not be as much of a pleasant hashtag as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brendan's credentials, of course, two-time, two-time world endurance champion, Lamar winner. Um, really deserved better opportunities in F1 than the one that he got. It's going to be great to see him back in top-level single-seater competition uh, with a team that, on their day, can achieve good things. And it's really about making huge steps forward with Dragon Racing, which, given their history in IndyCar, uh, it can be a little challenging at times. Yeah, um, keep the Lotus engines for yourself. Matt C. Gunther did well with them. And also in... Uh Related note, a spokesperson for Toyota Gazoo Racing has told the outlet E-Racing 365 that in the event that there are any clashes between the WEC and Formula E, Brendan Hartley will be uh, will have to give priority to his WEC commitments. Yeah, just yeah, because he's driving for the factory team here. It's the factory that pays his salary. I don't have a problem with that at all. Go rack yourself up a third title. Hell. It's not like you're going to have much competition outside of your own teammates. But guys, rebellion. Man. <laughs> they, they said got, they want to compete with more than just the Genettas. They got Norman Nato. I don't they know how they're... They got hybrid power. Yeah. But they do have a multinational peacekeeping coalition driving for them. <laughs> King... Happy birthday. KTM's all over the news in MotoGP. And not for the so reasons for good you reason want them to be. No. So, the good. 
KTM are committing to MotoGP long-term through the 2025 season. The bad. Let's get it. The bad. They are pulling out of Moto2 as a chassis supplier at the end of this year. Uh. The interesting? After bringing in Johan Zarco from Tech 3 Yamaha this year, the deal is off after just one season, and Johan Zarco will not be racing for them in 2020. Oh. Uh. That's a lot to unpack. I'm glad they're going to be in the series long term. I am glad Su- to. I'm glad to. They had a... Sucks that they're pulling out of Moto2. Yeah, but the thing is, though, I, I understand it would make sense for them to focus their efforts on the MotoGP side when all they can do is just build a chassis for Moto2 because the engines are all spec. Yar- Zarco yeah. is the one that confuses me. Now, I heard from sources close to the paddock... Very, very close to the paddock, as a matter of fact. Don't imply things. Don't imply things. (laughs) No, no. What what are you talking about? I got Tony Moody and David Emmett on speed dial and nobody else. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, So, so Johan and KTM apparently have not meshed very well, shall we say. It's not been a good partnership. Zarco's not been happy. And he's largely been outperformed by Polo Spargo. Counterpoint, Polo Spargo is a very damn fine rider in his own right. The thing that upsets me is that Johan Zarco doesn't have many other places to go. The grid's almost full for 2020, and it's looking like his best option if he wants to race at all is to go from MotoGP and underwhelming equipment to World Superbike and underwhelming equipment because the rumor is he might have been going to Honda and World Superbikes. And this is a man who was who had pace to win races on satellite Yamahas just two years ago who left the satellite Yamaha teams to try and lead the charge for a factory up-and-coming team in KTM. Right. So, I mean, I get that it's not a good fit, but it doesn't... It just seems wrong that a guy that talented is either going to have to not race next year or is going to have to slog through finishing anywhere from 11th to 15th of World Superbikes. Yeah, and... It looks a little bit more like this was Zarco's decision rather than KTM's, right. according to quite a few people around uh, around the sport. That yeah, Zarco's relationship with KTM has completely collapsed. It's 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 yeah. I'm it's sad that it hasn't worked out. On the other hand, you know, given its performance in Austria, we'll get into that a bit. But KTM's got options for the future i mean brad bender's coming up to tech three and miguel Oliveira has been so good this year with tech three yeah and the rumor is that uh Oliveira will be the person replacing uh johan zarco Oliveira and espargaro that is a team and all this as we're getting other tertiary news around the moto gp paddock for one, rumors of Jorge Lorenzo's demise have been greatly exaggerated, at least for one season. <laughs> he will stay at Honda through the end of his deal in 2020. Uh, Jack Miller may be on the move out of Pramac Racing Team at Ducati at the end of this season. And another driver might be leaving the Ducati family. Alvaro Bautista. You know, the guy who was off to a seemingly unassailable lead in World Superbikes with a broken Ducati Panigale World Superbike? Very seemingly. Yeah. It feels like a reverse Alba. (laughs) And of all the teams, the rumor is that he's going to Honda. 
Honda have to have developed a new bike under cover of night here. For Honda must distance. have just shown him. They just must have backed up the Brinks truck. No, they must have just, like, accidentally dropped the portfolio. Like, oops, I'm so sorry that I left this here. Our bike designs. Our, oh. our homologation, <laughs> our, our limited 10 production run homologation specials. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um... I- if, if Jack Villers on the... I've also just noticed in the Discord, I think Vic was about to actually go Super Saiyan over that news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, if Miller's on the way out, where does he go and who replaces him? Uh, I don't... To be because, determined. Yeah, because it was looking like it was going to be Lorenzo moving to Pramac Ducati, and then a free-for-all for who would get the other Honda seat. I heard it was going to be a straight swap, even Miller for Lorenzo Pramek to Repsol yeah. Honda, and there was some rumors from the monolith that Miller could move over to KTM. Though the monolith is reporting that Miller might actually stay put. Yeah, which would be for the best because I don't know if Miller would have been the man to pull KTM out of the slump. And I love me some Jack Miller, but he is on his game. He's pretty daggone good. Yeah. But he is also doing wonderful things with Pramek Ducati. Uh, he's just got to, you know, not low-sided every now and then in important races. Yeah, that's kind of a requirement in the contract. Yeah. Um, Alex Marquez has also been a discussion. If he continues his run of form, I, I feel like he's got to get a MotoGP ride at some point, right? If Alex, yep. if Alex can keep up this form, and as we know, that is a big if with Alex mm-hmm. Marquez. But if he can, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't potentially get that seat. All right. Yeah, we got a lot to unpack in MotoGP. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with the help of one friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison, to discuss the MotoGP Austrian Grand Prix. Here now to discuss all the goings-on of the Grosser Prix von Österreichs presented by whichever multi-level marketing scheme my world is fronting out there, um, <laughs> is your friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison. Hey guys. Yeah, it's me again, your friendly neighborhood host, Drain. Sadly not here on the live recording, but here via the power of osmosis. Huzzah. Here I am, everybody. Um, <laughs> I am back to run you through the MotoGP weekend and all the big biking news coming out of the world of two wheels in the past week. I promise I will be back on next week's show. That is a guarantee. Sorry if you've missed me over the last fortnight. This is the best I can do when it comes to making up for it. But uh, I'm here to talk a little bit about MotoGP in Austria. And after that, I will get into some of the news as well. We've got a lot to get through, so we'll get right into it. And uh, this is a big one. Um, like, uh, I, I, Austria, like, let's be real here. MotoGP stole the show. And, and and to be fair, I think the sport needed a weekend like this one. I say that because I think some of the more cynically-minded motorsport and bike fans out there were getting a little bit sick and tired of Mark Marquez already. Um, like, he after dominating in Bruno, a race that he doesn't normally win at, doesn't normally win in the dry... I think everybody was a little bit tired of Marquez just pulling away and beating the entire field by a distance. So for 
So, you know, people were already down on this weekend when he qualified on pole position um, by four tenths of a second. Now, I know Austria is a short lap, but to extract that much from the performance of the tyres is uh, mesmerising. He set the all-time fastest ever lap of the Red Bull ring in Spielberg. Um, he was like, like I said, he was four tenths faster than any other guy on the field. That same four tenths of a second, he outqualified um, second place by. You could have ran that point four down the order, and if you did, you would have gotten to eleventh. The rest of the field—it's easy to forget. The rest of the field is the closest we've ever seen it in GP, and Marquez absolutely laid waste to them. And that was also significant because it was his 59th pole position in the top flight, which ticks him above McDoohan and into the all-time lead uh, when it comes to premier class pole positions. That was, like I said, 59, beating McDoohan's record of 58. Um, pretty crazy stuff, if you ask me. Um, very, very, very um, fast indeed. I mean, we didn't even talk about it in Brno. It was his 50th top flight win, which made him just the fourth man of the 50 win club, where that's concerned as well. Um, but for the race itself, well, let's just cut to the chase. It was Dovi V Marquez 6, um, the newest addition to the Fast and Furious franchise, only nowhere near as disappointing. Um, we almost got into it from turn three, where Marquez and Dovi both ran wide at the hairpin, and I love that Keith Ewan immediately teased that uh, we were getting uh, a, a Sepang-like moment, and then he would have to quickly reel himself in when he realised how stupid that fucking sounded. But it dropped it dropped them to fourth and fifth on the field, and eventually Marquez and Dovi would pick their way off and get to the front of the queue. They overtook Alex Rins uh, and Fabio Quattararo to do it, and... Those two, do, t those two, Dovi and Marquez, were in, a, were in a field of their own. Nobody else was even close. They were a good two, three tenths of that faster than anybody else on track. Fabio Quattararo was in a very lonely third, which he would actually um, finish in by the time the race was over. He actually would finish the race in P3. But it was Dovi v Marquez that fought each other out all the way. They were feeling each other out, seeing who was the faster one. You know, Dovi kind of went a bit early. He went about five laps out. He started pushing f at full speed. Um, Marquez actually passed him down into turn seven. Um, a surprise move at turn seven with three to go to take the lead. And we thought, as Marquez played possum with him the entire time, like it was Aragon from last season. But... Um, like it's amazing if you haven't seen it go out of your way to check out instagram because MotoGP put up an interview where i think it was simon crafer marquez and dovi with video footage of their final lap and both of them commentating on that final lap from their perspective it's a fantastic um point of view um from how the riders saw it themselves and there's a great scene on the final lap where marquez has about a 0 0.4 0.5 of a second lead on the final lap He's going into turn one. He's got through turn three cleanly, despite Dovi being the faster bike um, in a straight line. And Dovi thought the, the game was over. He thought that was it. He, he thought he had nothing left in the tank. But Dovi was able to reel Marquez in um, in the twistier second half of the lap. And Dovi w wins the race over last corner lunge. The same last corner lunge that Marquez tried on him two years ago, only this time Dovi was able to make it stick. It's amazing. Dovi had virtually no brakes left. He was gone. Marquez, 
at the outside of turn nine, you can just see the rear wheel spin up a little bit um, on the entry towards turn turn ten. I don't think he had quite as much grip to go all out at that final corner and shut the door in Dovi's face. Dovi went for the lunge and he nailed it. He let it drift out on the apex just enough of, of a distance where Marquez couldn't cut in um, and try to get back at him. It was another clean, brilliant fight with a clean, brilliant ending. And Dovi makes it 5-1 against Marquez in last, in last lap dogfights. Davizioso winning the race, just his second win of 2019, but even or not, ahead of Marquez and Crotteraro third. Uh, go out of your way to watch this. This is an all-time classic. It's another brilliant Dovi v Marquez exhibition. These two bring out the best in each other. They are magnificent motorcycle riders, and Dovi is like the only man who has Marquez's number over a single lap consistently. It's ridiculous how Dovi keeps pulling this off. It's almost like a blessing and a curse for Marquez all at the same time because it's it's kind of amazing how like Dovi can occasionally, very occasionally, pull off these superhuman performances, but he's doing it for a grand total of five points because Marquez always finishes in second, and those big those good days, those quote unquote bad days from Marquez are still more than enough to counter anything that that uh, that that Dovi can throw at him over the course of a season. It's it's incredible to say the least. And yeah, it's incredibly impressive stuff. But yeah, those two are six seconds faster over the course of that race than anybody else. As mentioned, Fabio Quattararo was third. He was six seconds away in third. Um, shout out to Valentino Rossi. He did a very good job. The Sunday man himself came through again, finished in fourth, beating his teammate Maverick Vinales, who was fast all weekend. He was front row contender um, all the way through the, the weekend, but slipped to fifth in the race itself ahead of Alex Rins, who he beat over the line by two hundredths of a second. That was the lone star fight for fourth, but Rossi won that by just over a second in the end. Um, a, a a brilliant race, though, from the front. One you should definitely go out of your way to see. Um, a brilliant race all told. A quick rundown of the full result. Andrea Davizioso winning by 0.2 of a second over Mark Marquez. Fabio Quattararo third. Valentino Rossi fourth ahead of Maverick Vinales and Alex Rins. Francisco Bagnaia, his best result in MotoGP to date. Seventh place for the Pramac team. A tumultuous time for the Pramac team, but one to definitely keep an eye on going forward. Um, more on that later. He just beat over the line a rampant Miguel Oliveira in eighth. His best performance in GP to date. And a uh, top KTM, a brilliant performance from Miguel. All weekend long he'd been very, very fast, and it might reap him some rewards later on in 2020. We'll see again. More on that later. Danilo Petrucci in ninth, nowhere really all weekend. Crashed in qualifying, didn't exactly help his confidence either. Frankie Morbidelli rounding off the top 10, ahead of Takanakagami. Johan Zarco in 12th. Stefan Bradl in 13th place. Alicia Spagaro in 14th. Carol Abraham rounding off the points in 15th place. And Andrea Iannone 
Germany. The last man over the line. He was a lap down in 16th place. Five non-finishers. Tito Rabat crashed out with eight to go. Jack Miller binned it on his own, which is not ideal, but doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Hafiz Siren crashed on lap two. Um, Polar Spagaro got caught up in a nasty accident with Carl Crutchlow at turn three on the opening lap. Um, Pole's bike cut out. Um, on the apex, it was slow, it, it cut out, and there was no power going through it, and then Crutchlow rode into the back of him. Nasty accident. Thankfully, both of them okay in the end, but it could have been uh, very, very nasty indeed. Thankfully, um, everybody okay as a result of that one. Um, okay, championship standings um, as we head to Silverstone next weekend. Eight races to go in the championship. Mark Marquez still leading the way. By 58 points over Andrea De Vizioso um, in, in second place. He's 36 points ahead of his teammate Dino Petrucci in third. It's the most quiet third place in the championship I've ever seen in GP. It's really weird. Alex Rins in fourth and 124. Valentino Rossi now overtakes his teammate. Um, despite the, the, the run of three crashes in the middle of the season, he's got 103 to Mavericks, 102. Fabio Quattararo now on 92 points in seventh ahead of Jack Miller in eighth on 86. Cal Crutchlow in ninth now on 78 points. Um, and Takanekagami in tenth on 62. Like I said, a 10 out of 10 classic. Go out of your way to see it. It was a fantastic Grand Prix. Um, definitely one to, to watch again and again. Dovi and Marquez are just brilliant riders and are worthy of your time, indeed. Moto2, not so much. It, it could have had a nice crescendo at the end. It didn't really, unfortunately. It was a bit. It was a little bit rough and tumble. Three big incidents, which we'll get to later on in the race. But at the front of the field, it was Brad Binder winning for KTM on his 24th birthday. So congrats to Lord Binder on an excellent ride. He pretty much led from start to finish. Uh, there, was some scrap, there was some scrappiness behind him and the guys trying to overtake him. But no one could ever really put a move on him. Alex Marquez tried right at the end of the Grand Prix, couldn't quite manage it, and Alex Marquez would finish in second, but still some very solid uh, 20 championship points for him. Jorge Navarro, another second and a half back in third. He again, he beat Lorenzo Baldazzari over the line in a close run fight for the last of the podium spots. Also worth pointing out, all three major manufacturing chassis, um, ch chassis manufacturers on the podium this weekend. Cool to see. As I mentioned, Baldazzari in fourth, Augusto Fernandez fifth, Thomas Lutti in sixth, Jorge Martin with a very solid result for the KTM boys in seventh, ahead of Eichel Aquona in eighth, Marcel Schrotter ninth, Matteo Pessini tenth for the Tasca team, ahead of Andrea Locatelli, uh, Somkiat Chantra, who was on the front row to start the weekend, um, sadly couldn't convert it into a podium finish in race trim, but a very nice performance from him. The first tie rider on, I think, on the front row of the grid, I think since 2009, I want to say. So, great result from them. I mean, a nice a nice, a nice weekend for the Inamitsu team in that sense. Budiger, Nicolo Budiger in 13th, Fabio Di Antonio in 14th, and Bo Benchnider rounding off the points 
in 15th place. The return of Jonas Volga was in 18th. Jake Dixon, for British interest's sake, was 19th. Sam Lowe's had a miserable weekend. He was down in 24th, but three big incidents in that race. Uh, Xavi Vierge um, slid at turn four and took out Tetsuya Nagashima, who had his first career pole position for for the Wanzox team there at the front of the field. They've been they've been tremendous this year. They've really dramatically improved this year, where Nagashima is constantly in the top 10, and Remy Gardner's had flashes of real brilliance in, in the intermediate flight. He's not been able to convert it into, into really big, chunky results consistently yet. But uh, they've really improved. But Nagashima very sadly taken out from, I think, what was fourth place at the time. Um, Zavi, to be fair, immediately went into the back and apologised. Um, classy gesture from the young Spaniard. Um, so keep half an eye on that. Remy Gardner, he got collected. He rode into the back of Alex Marquez's tangled bike after he went ride and then rejoined the track at turn one and he ran into the back of Marquez's machine and went down. I love that Gardner sat down in the middle of the track with his arms aloft like, what's going on? And I'm like, dude, you're in a racetrack. Get out of the fucking way. It was crazy. Um, and then poor Enea Bastianini, who was running in the podium positions, and then he was taken out by uh, Luca Marini. Marini slid out at the penultimate corner and then collected the back of Bastianini's bike and flipped him sideways. Bastianini was literally walking in midair uh, before he hit the deck. It looked like he might have broken his ankle, but thankfully he was declared fit afterwards um so thankfully again no harm done but three nasty incidents there a fun moto 2 race not a classic by any stretch but still an excellent race indeed again certainly worth checking out and congrats to alex marquez who confirmed he's going to be staying with the mark vds team next year um looks like uh, there was rumors around that he might have been going to patronus next year with the promise of a moto gp seat in 2021 apparently his brother mark has been teasing him into joining the yamaha because he thinks it'll be a better fit for his riding style but uh, apparently lynn jarvis vetoed the deal Apparently, the Marquez brothers will never be allowed to race a Yamaha after what happened in Sepang in 2015. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. Again, read into that what you will. There's a lot of big, silly season stuff going down in Moto2. A lot of guys jostling for position. Baldazari staying alongside Fernandez. Marquez is staying with Mark VDS. It looks like Sam Lowe's could be his teammate next season with Vierge out. Um, so keep half an eye on that in the coming weeks as those deals get done and wrapped up. Keep an eye on the papers. Moto3, um, another dramatic Moto3 race of a very popular winner. Yes, it's Romano Fanati. Yes, that Romano Fanati, the guy who went viral for nearly killing someone in Moto2 last season. A popular winner, as I'm sure you'll attest. Um, it was an interesting race. It started patchy. I mean, it was a dry race, but with a lot of wet surface to play with a lot of guys you couldn't really race off the racing line it was very dangerous and i'm actually quite annoyed by that in moto 3 because when that happens it tends to split the field up a bit and that's exactly what happened here there was chunks of riders on the on the circuit but the three guys who broke off initially was romano fanati his teammate for the snipers team tony arbolino and john mcphee who'd qualified on pole after 18 penalties were handed out in qualifying, 16 of them, um, believe it or not, were from 
I believe it was tr um, tr dawdling on the racing line, you know, basically riding too slowly on outlaps and inlaps. Um, that rule's been clamped down on hard in uh, in Moto2 and Moto3. Um, you're not allowed to dawdle on the racing line, and that's exactly what happened to literally half the field, and uh, the, the grid got completely jumbled up. In the end, it was, the, it was found out that John McPhee would, would start from pole, and we were all just okay with that, basically. But that was the leading group of three. As the race went on in the latter stages, Romano Fanati was able to break the toe. Some sloppy racemanship from Arbolino and McPhee. They were too busy fighting each other. They were they wouldn't they didn't realise that Fanati was getting away. And by the time he broke the toe, Arbolino and McPhee were fighting so hard they couldn't pull him back in till the end, and by that point it was too late. Um, Fanati winning the race by just over a second ahead of his teammate. But to put it into perspective, just 23 thousandths of a second separating second and being off the podium. Celestino Vietti was in the lead of the chasing group, trying to get up to the front. And it was him and Jal Masia that was trying to get to that leading group after breaking off at the start. Masia fell in, in the latter stages, but Vietti got with the group fighting for the podium. And he was the unlucky one. He was, I believe he was second coming off the final corner, but lost out in the drag race and the exit to the finish line he'd end up finishing in fourth as i said 23 thousandths off a second place finish he ends up finishing in fourth instead marcos ramirez bested the rest in fifth place six seconds away ahead of lorenzo data porter in sixth important for the title race which i'll get to in a minute makai uchenko in seventh place a good result for him and the skull rider mugen team as well jumpman cornfile in eighth nicolo antonelli in ninth ahead of aaron canet in tenth albatarena as 11th ayagura in 12th ayumi sasaki in 13th for the Patronus team, Dennis Foggia in 14th, and Darren Binder 15th for the Green Power CIP team, rounding off the points. I didn't get through Ch Toto 2's championship standings, by the way, so I'll get to those real quick in case you were in case you were wondering where they happened. Um, due to the nature of the race, and again, another 20 solid points for Marquez, he now leads the championship um, by 43 points ahead of Thomas Luti. Jorge Navarro is now third on, on, on 126 points in third. Augusto Fernandez fourth on 121. Lorenzo Baldessari, 5th on 115. He's a point ahead of Marcel Schrotter on 114. Brad Binder, who very quietly has now scored, I want to say, 65 points in the last four rounds. I think only Marquez has scored more in the last four rounds. KTM having a bit of a sudden resurgence um, in the second half of the season yet again. Binder on 109 now in 7th. He's 8 points ahead of Luca Marini in 8th. Bastianini 9th on 74. And Fabio Di Giantonio in 10th on 59 points. In Moto3, I mentioned that 6th was important for Dada Porter because he's now taken the lead of the Moto3 Championship again by a single point over Aaron Canet. 155 to 154. Arbolino's starting to reel him in a little bit though 20 points for him he's up to 113 now in third ahead of Nicolo Antonelli in fourth Marcos Ramirez in fifth on 89 John McPhee on 84 in sixth Celestino Vietti in seventh on 81 John Messia with 78 in, four, in, in eighth place Romano Fanati now ninth in the championship have fun with that. Ahead of Jakob Kornfile in 10th place on Countback. They both have 67 
points. So, yeah, one more series to get through as well. We had Moto E this weekend return for its second round in the championship, despite the minor scare of another paddock fire. Luckily, this one was put out quickly and dealt with rather than the disaster that led to the delay of this season in the first place. Um, so, thankfully, we were able to get everything under control and there was no damage to the weekend schedule. It was Mike Demeglio that qualified on pole by 11 thousandths of a second, uh, but he would go on to win the five-lap Austria E, Epri? Is it in Epri? Do they call it that in Moto E? Moto E World Cup race, whatever you want to call it. Ahead of Xavier Simeon, he finished in second, 2.2 seconds behind. Bradley Smith in third, continuing his strong run of form. He's their third on um, 4.3 seconds behind. He was ahead of Alex DeAngelis, Matteo Ferrari, Sete Gibernau, Josh Hook, Jesko Raffin, Nicolo Canapa, and Lorenzo Savadori rounding off the top 10. A bit of a dramatic one at the end with, uh, with uh, Eric Granado crashing from the podium spots. Um, in the early going, and then Hector Garzo, who was second, trying to make a run for the win, but he, he binned it at the turn four right hand downhill, lost the front and tucked it completely. I'm enjoying Moto E for what it's worth. It's very fun. It's short. It's sharp. It's like putting a. It's like double strength concentrate dilutable. It's very fun in short doses. Um, for a five lap race, it's very very cool indeed. Very fun. You can hear so much more of the bikes, the knee sliders, the tires gripping. It's a great time. I highly recommend going out of your way to see it. It's well worth a watch. So, yeah, it's a shame the races are still so short, but hopefully that will improve in time. But uh, a fun Moto E race indeed, as far as I'm concerned. Um, very, very fun. Um, definitely keep watching it if you can. Mike Demeglio taking the championship lead by five points ahead of Bradley Smith on 36 and Xavier Simeon on 29. Um, if you haven't seen our news already, look out for Bradley Smith. He'll be wildcarding for the Patronus team in, um, in actually, no, sorry, for the Inamitsu team in Moto2 at Silverstone next weekend. Um, Pau Kari Idan Pawi is still riding hurt, unfortunately. His, his injury is a bit more complicated than first, than first feared, hopefully. He'll be back on a motorcycle soon, but Bradley Smith is the latest rider to fill in from a wildcard standpoint at the weekend, which is great to hear. So great to see Bradley back in the main GP paddock. Great to see. Now, this was almost this, this almost played second fiddle to a lot of news that dropped over the course of the weekend. A lot of it silly season related. Um, it was a wild one. Um, silly season two. When it, it, it all dropped on Thursday when Jack Miller admitted there was actually an element of truth to some of the press rumours going around that Jorge Lorenzo was talking at Bruneau about trying to maybe get on the Pramac seat and jettison Honda at the end of the season to get on a fully factory-supported Pramac GP20 next year. Um, and Jack Miller being the, the casualty of that seat. And it was actually very sad for Miller. It was a rough weekend in that Miller not only crashed during the race, but also um, welled up to the point of tears. Um, basically talking about these rumours and how unsettled he was in the situation. Pramac had told Miller from day one they wanted to keep him for next year. That was always the plan. And the plan almost got yanked out from underneath him. But Ducati did send over the contract after the race weekend. I can confirm Miller will be there for Pramac on the GP20 next year. So great for Jack Miller, who's had two podiums, a very strong season. Definitely his best in GP to date. And 
one that I think he could easily kick on from going forward in the future, especially if Petrix is looking this mediocre at the moment. So, uh, yeah, Jorge Lorenzo openly, you know, the team admitted that he was, or his team was admitting they had shopped with Pramac, they were offering their services to Patronus, Patronus were not interested. They made it absolutely clear we have no plans to sign Orge Lorenzo, basically. And, yeah, Lorenzo is out here probably breaking his trust with the Honda unit. But Honda, he's staying with him for 2020. That's absolutely dead certain. Lorenzo is staying put with Honda for 2020. But he's making a bit of a hornix of it. Let's put it that way, um, to say the least. But that was, like, the silver medal prize. In another words, chaotic week. Um, because KTM... Shit as well and truly hit the fan. Johan Zarco is quitting the team uh, at the end of the season and maybe even as soon as next weekend at Silverstone. Um, it's gotten ugly at KTM. Zarco um, apparently spoke to the team with tears in his eyes. He hated this. He's like Zarco is, for those guys who don't know, Johan Zarco is a very emotional guy, apparently. He's, he's very much a heart on your sleeve sort of guy. He leaves himself under no illusions. He's very emotional when it comes to his riding. He's very delicate um, mentally. He's very sensitive, and um, he's not liked the way it's gone. Apparently, fallouts between him and the engineers. And generally put, his riding style, which is very smooth and very... Uh, you know, smooth and very yamaha very characteristically Yamaha, high apex, high cornering speed, very smooth lines, very fast, but the KTM is more of a brute, um, it likes to be chucked in and thrown around, that's why it's better suited Polar Spagger, that's not Zarko's riding style, and the KTM had no problem throwing some shade at Zarko on the way out, saying that, you know, the engineers had tried everything to try and, you know, make Zarko more comfortable, with the bike and the provisions that he asked for, but at the same time, they also dropped in the little line about Polar Spagaro regularly challenging for top 10s. Ouch. Um, and that's the worst part. If you're Johan Zarco now, what do you do? You've got nowhere else to go. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a sticky one because now every other major seat in GP is now filled. The 2020 grid is more or less confirmed. Takanakagami, I believe, is the only rider not to have a new deal for 2020, and apparently that will be wrapped up in the coming days. Um, so Zarko, he might have to go back to Moto2, but the problem with that is that a lot of the top seats in Moto2 are also taken up. Um, by a lot of their current riders like Balnazari and Marquez and Sam Lowe's and Thomas Luti. They're already confirmed for next year as well. So Zarko might have to end up being maybe a test rider offering the services to somebody else in the hopes that something opens up for 2021. But the way I see it, once you're out of the GP paddock, it's very hard to get back in. And uh, I think Zarko's going to have a real hard time of it. And if you're basically bailing on your contract after two-thirds of a season when you're on a two-year deal for most riders, with the entire free agent market opening up next year, it's messy. And Zarko's going to have a real hard time. Um, his, his future's going to be very much hanging by a thread. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes down, but it's not going to be ideal to say the least. 
Speaking of which, KTM in general is going for a bit of a reshuffle. They confirmed that they'll be uh, committed to MotoGP through the 2023 season. Um, so they're, they're going to be there for at least another five years. That's great to hear. They'll be still going to have, as it stands, six manufacturers in the MotoGP paddock, which is great. But it comes at, an, it comes at a cost. Their Moto2 team is gone. They'll be putting out of Moto2 at the end of the season. Um, and Husqvarna, their uh, dirt track, their 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 their, their, their supermoto motocross brand, will be backing the Moto Three team instead going forward. I still believe that IO will get a bike um, in support, but uh, it looks like KTM is going for a right shake up, which is very interesting to say the least. It's a real shame. Um, I mean. KTM, I think, has gotten most of what it can get out of its current crop of riders that's come up through the ladder. We know Brad Binder is moving up next year into the Tech 3 team. It's looking like if he's siring, will be out. Um, and it looks like Miguel Oliveira might get bumped up to the, to the main factory team alongside Paul Spagaro next season. Oliveira could be the one to benefit. But KTM are taking their time when it comes to finding a replacement. We'll see what they do in the coming days and weeks. But we don't know for sure what's going on with that just yet. Um, so yeah, KTM, big reshuffle, but Zarco is on the way out. Um, sad to hear, because Zarco is a talented, talented rider who can absolutely challenge for wins and podiums on his best days. But uh, I, I still think him going to KTM was a terrible idea, and he should never have done that in the first place. And he's now, I think, kind of locked himself into pain here. No matter what happens. Bit of World Superbike silly season news as well. It was confirmed today, is that on August 16th, and I'm recording this, that uh, Eugene Laverty will be leaving the uh, Barney Aruba Ducati team at the end of the season. They'll be going to BMW alongside Tom Sykes for the 2020 season. It looks like he's going to replace Marcus Reiterberger. Um, so it looks like the BMW team's taking a nice little upgrade. I mean, Tom Sykes and Eugene Laverty is a very strong team indeed. And uh, a great signing for BMW to get one of the better guys in the field. A guy who's, who has won races in WSBK, who was, you know, a very strong MotoGP runner in his prime as well. And hopefully some stability for Laverty, who's been all over the place in the last two years, battling injury, battling factory bikes, and trying to get his foot in the door with the big boys again in the series. So great to hear for Eugene Laverty. Still a lot of future up in the air for Ducati. They've made it quite clear. They want Scott Redding next year, who's currently in the fight for the British Superbike Championship right now with PBM. Um, and uh, he's now in a dogfight over there. And they've made it clear. They want Scott Redding. It looks like Bautista is all but gone. It looks like he's going to be going to the Honda, um, the new Red Bull factory Honda project that they've got going on. It looks like they'll be debuting a brand new Fireblade from scratch next year. And they want Bautista to lead the way in that. Bold. I'll say that much at least. More to come from that soon. Um, still a lot of talk about Kawasaki as well and who will be alongside Jonathan Ray next year. It could be Leon Haslam, who's been a very good boy, very obedient, very ticking all the boxes for Kawasaki. Maybe winning the Suzuka 8 hours might save Haslam because Toprak is knocking on the door, apparently. So more on that as we get it coming soon. And one more freakish story to come out of BSB as well. Danny Kent, the former Moto3 world champion, um, arrested 
and uh, given a four-month suspended prison sentence for carrying a knife. Now, this is a crazy story. It debuted at BBC Bristol yesterday, and the headline is Danny Kent, world champion rider, admits carrying knife during scuffle. Uh, Danny Kent, or Daniel Kent is his real name, is 25, pled, pleaded guilty at Cheltenham Magistrates Court to possessing the knife in a public place. He admitted having the kitchen knife in West Street Car Park in Tetbury on, on Tetbury on March 7th. This was before the season even started. This was back in March when he was involved in a scuffle with a 63-year-old man. The sportsman received a four-month jail sentence suspended for 12 months. He was also ordered to pay £115 in victim surcharge and £85 costs. Um, he, the, the prosecuting Peter Ashby said the 63-year-old had been out walking his dog when he heard commotion in a block of flats and saw two men ran, run past him. He added, one of the men, the defendant's brother, confronted the 63-year-old and there was a scuffle and the older man took the young man to the ground. Get in there, big fella. He pinned him down and then the other man, the defendant, came over and pushed the older man off. The witness then saw a knife on the ground. He picked it up and went home and then informed the police. Kent of Webb Road Tetbury told officers that he and his brother were collecting a debt, but he would not have used a knife which had a six-inch blade. Um, uh, yes, he had the knife in his pocket, but it was not for any improper purpose. He uses it to open boxes in connection with his work. Kent said, I would like to apologise to the court. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say on this one. I mean, from a cultural standpoint, you don't carry a knife by accident. You don't carry a kitchen knife by accident, especially one with a six-inch blade. That's not short. That can kill somebody if used in the wrong way. You don't take a knife out with you by accident. You just don't. I think Danny's for the shit, to be honest with you. You don't bring a knife with the intention not to use it. I think that's ridiculous. And why would he be box opening at his job? He's a motorcycle racer. What what boxes is he opening? Isn't that somebody else's job? It's a real shame because I remember interviewing Danny Kent back when I was a part of Bike Live on Downforce Radio. And this, and this was two days after he'd just become the first British GP world champion since 1977. And, you know, we were full of beans. We were excited that Kent had finally got his shit all together. And it's just been one blow after another in his career ever since. He went up to Moto2 again. He skipped. He, you know, he passed on MotoGP seats with Pramac to, you know, go to Moto2. And basically, he got outclassed by Miguel Oliveira on the Leopard team when they moved into Moto2. Oliveira had the more impressive performances. Kent went back, went, 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 was bobbing up and down between Moto2 and 3, taking wild cards left and right, and then quit the Kiefer team as well, and then threw the Kiefer team under the bus in an interview with Susie Perry on BT Sport. It was a mess, and it, it was ugly, and it kind of proved that Kent maybe can't be trusted. Um, I remember the main line that was being fed around at the time was, talent is not enough regarding Kent. And that's kind of been the story of his career, really. It's a one where he's a talented kid, but his attitude has often sucked. And it looks like... He, like What what 25-year-old world champion bike racer is out here debt collecting? 
just just a bizarre and kind of sad story, really. Um, he was sacked from his MV Augusta British Superbike ride at the weekend on the news that he'd been convicted. Um, and I think MV did the right thing. You can't have a convicted criminal represent your team or your brand. I think it's a terrible look. And you can't be doing that. So, uh, yeah, he's sacked. He's without a job again. I'm sure he'll pop up somewhere else. The man can ride a Moto3 bike very well. That's been proven. So, hey, maybe someone else in the grid can pick him up. I mean, if it worked for Romano Fanati, there's hope for everybody here. Just, just saying. But, uh, hey, I've been talking now for pretty much half an hour straight. So, let me get out of here. Um, ho hope you guys enjoyed my little uh, segment there. Um... Oh, just before I go, Vic asked me a question on Twitter, and he said, if Lorenzo doesn't stay with Repsol Honda, can you see him moving to World Superbikes, and who would be most likely to ride for it if he did make the switch? He's staying put, so don't worry about that, Vic. Um, but thanks for the question anyway, my friend. Much appreciated. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Harrison101HD, and our, our website, motorsport101.com. Of course, I'm on YouTube as well, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. Put up a nice new Dre brief as well regarding... Uh, Pierre Gasly and his demotion at Red Bull, which I'm sure the boys have already spoken about by now on the show itself. And uh, without further ado, I'll hand you back to those guys. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Sayonara. Thank you, Dre. Man, this this was a good one. I'm so glad I got up to watch this and watch that final lap, final corner pass. I'm so mad I missed as much of the race as I did, but I did get to see the final few laps, and what a duel. Oh, my goodness. Can I just say for the record, Scott McLaughlin, you know, the namesake of our Scott McLaughlin Award, the Scotty Award for the best <laughs> overtake of the season. If he said there was an amazing pass, I'd say, fuck it. Let's just give him. Let's just give Dobby the trophy right now. <laughs> Why even wait to December for us to do the award show? Let's just give him that trophy now. Oh, it's only the one on two wheels. <sighs> what are we doing? Two and four wheel versions of this now? <laughs> actually would be shows, a bad idea the award shows are already three hours long that would actually be a good idea but yes that was a good race I was really impressed with how Corderaro held on for as much as he could considering his Yamaha is powered by by 30 is, hamsters yeah this is the wheel. anti if this track is what that suits the Ducati this is the anti Yamaha track it really is. It really yeah. Is. Most important thing, Ducati remain unbeaten at Fortress Ducati. Oh, the man. last corner yeet from Andrea Davizioso to take the win from a rampant Mark Marquez, who's just been dominating this part of the season, got pulled by over four tenths. Yeah, not just any pole, the record premier class pole position that put him ahead of Mick Dewan. He was trying to go for a 121. Good lord. 122, I should say. Quartararo finished in third. Um, three Yamaha 345. Quartararo Rossi Vinales. And once again, it's the satellite Yamaha blooding the nose of the factory Yamahas. I feel like I've seen this before. And most importantly, Miguel Oliveira finished eighth. In a uh, satellite KTM at home! Yeah, in what is not a good look for the now exiting Zarco, that happened. Yeah, Zarco ended up finishing 12th, which, you know, all things considered wasn't that bad when, until you consider, you know, Crutchlow fell, Spargro fell, Siren fell, Miller fell, Rabat fell, and only finished a lap down. And points go down to 50! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
MotoGP's Mendoza line, Carol Abraham, got in the points just by matter of attrition. <laughs> um, but King, your boy wanted Moto2 for the first time since Australia 2018. <laughs> yeah, let's forget about the other news that weekend in Moto2 because this was what really mattered. Brad Bender did it. You know, depending on who you ask, you might have just think, well, he just won the same event two years in a row because he won Australia last year. And then you realize you've just made the common mistake of confusing Australia with Austria. Common mistake. Also, Remy Gardner was very lucky not to have his foot smashed. Did you see so that? Lucky. Did you see that ISO shot of him getting up on his bike just as another bike is passing him and almost clipped him on the foot? I saw that. Yeah. I felt that. Oh <laughs> goodness gracious! Yeah, that was. Again, he was very lucky to have gotten uh, away from that one as well as he did. And Moto3, yes, Romato Fanati is back on the top step of the podium for the first time in a long time. The Snipers team got a 1-2 finish. Um, Woo. Do we, do we have strong thoughts? Woo, I guess. Uh, good I, for him. G- yeah, good for him. <laughs> Still kind of a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, I don't know, man. I feel like it's tricky because, on the other hand, he did some do something very, very terribly dangerous and irresponsible and stupid, and it's not the first time. On the other hand, would people have been less forget more forgiving of him if you know, let's say, you know, we beat somebody up away from the track? Probably not. Yeah. But not at enough. the same time, I mean, it's one thing doing something stupid and dangerous. It's another to repeat the mistake. Also, we have one point in this championship with Lorenzo De La Porta and Aaron Cannon. I want to move on to that. And also, Moto E is back, baby! The heavyweights are in action! <laughs> and, oh my god, one of the bikes caught on fire again. It's lit! <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, it was only one of the bikes and not the whole Thank box of bikes. Oh my god! Oh, I, I saw that headline like, not again, no. <laughs> this bike is on fire! And so was Mike DeMeglio. Got the pole, the fastest <laughs> lap, led every lap, and won the race. A dominant ride for the Frenchman ahead of Xavier Simeone and Bradley Smith, rounding off the podium with just. Four races and two meetings left in this truncated Moto E World Cup. Now, of course, next week, Moto GP, Moto 2, and Moto 3 will be back at the British Grand Prix in Silverstone. The first since the resurfacing. I wonder if we'll get the race going this time. Please, Please don't be canceled. You know it Please. you know that race was bad when noted permanently wet weather country Britain can't have a fucking bike race. That's how bad it is. How that's how bad you fucked this up. Oh uh yeah, like hopefully it goes off without a hitch this year. Uh there'll probably be a lot of cameras on hand considering that Bro- GoPro is now the title sponsor of the British Grand Prix. And remember, if you have any complaints about the quality of the race, be sure to tweet at aggregate underscore UK. Yes, at aggregate underscore UK. It is 100% their fault. Yes. I can't... Do I have to say allegedly? I don't think I do. Nope. 
It is fact. It is their fault. <laughs> oh, man. Continuing our theme of Ryan Eric King birthday celebration, after this quick musical interlude, we'll be back to discuss the brand finale, the W series of Brands Hatch. DTM was there too, and so was Adam Johnson. And he got a really sick die cast out of it. God, I know. I'm so fucking jealous. After a year of skepticism, curiosity, and intrigue, the first ever W series has come to a close. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I'm too white to sing this version of the song. <laughs> Alice Powell won the race. Jamie Chadwick won the title. This was Chadwick's worst race of the season. It was still good enough with a fourth place finish to clinch the title by 10 points over Bietzka Visser, who finished in third. King? It was a very good season for one of your favorite drivers and really a really fantastic talent. Jamie Chadwick, of course, I knew her from back before all of this even happened, back when she was an Aston Martin young GT driver, winning the GT4 title with uh, in British GT. And that's when I really started to pay attention, like, whoa, this girl's really, really good. And as it turns out, good enough to beat a field of 18 to 20 really top-quality women drivers um, who were all competing, for not just for the title, but also, keep in mind, Next year's, this year's top 12 automatically qualify for net season. There's nothing guaranteed beyond that. So that was something interesting to follow. And technically, everyone, like everyone in the field, mathematically had a chance of finishing in the top 12. Yeah. So this race really started to turn because Jamie Chadwick took pole position, got a pretty good start out of her end. But with about 10 minutes elapsed in the race, Alice Powell and... Emma Kemalainen, who were chasing her down in second and third, made a move past Jamie Chadwick, and that opened the door for Vissa to get to get along side by side. And man, it looked like for a while the two were going to go make contact into one of the corners. Oh my! Thankfully, God, they did yeah. not. Thankfully, they did not. They went. Uh, yeah, down down that back straight, the pilgrims dropped. They were side by side all the way down through. In like into Hawthorns, where it's like, it's like, man, please, Mike Hawthorne, don't fuck me over from behind the grave today, <laughs> please don't. Right, all because that, sh- all that shit talking. <laughs> he hears you, King. Because it would have been one thing for Chadwick to lose the title in the final race. I wouldn't have want to see it decided by an incident between the two. I wouldn't have want to see that with how how much they come through this and. Give a shout out to Alice Powell. Well, if not for back-to-back DNFs at Masano and Norris Ring, she would have been right back in this. She never finished worse than third all season. Yep. But it was oh. Jamie Chadwick who took the title. 110 points to Vietzka Visser's 100. It was very refreshing to see that some some of the women in this field could actually stand a chance. And it wasn't just going to be a one-woman show. Uh, though Chadwick, again, this was probably her worst race 
And it was still more than enough to clinch the title. <laughs> Which is insane when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Emma Kimmelainen completing the podium in second place. And you'd have to wonder, if not for the injuries she sustained at the Hockenheim ring, the Poderout, Zolder, and Masano, where would she have been in this title fight? Yeah, and I think that's kind of the story of the season. Due to it being short, it kind of... I wouldn't Way say too short. It feels like yeah, it just would... started a few weeks ago. It, it, yeah. it didn't leave drivers enough time to recover if they had one bad race. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it leaves more questions than answers where you feel like a lot of people throughout this whole field had a lot of speed, but not enough time to show it. Yeah, that's 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 very true. We had we had five, we had one, two, three, four, five different championship race winners. We had a reverse grid winner, which we'll get to in a minute. But man, um, just some all round fantastic performances. What about the battle for for qualifying for net season? Because it came down to just a single point in the end between the last woman to qualify, Jessica Hawkins, who was in tears realizing that she qualified over Caitlin Wood just below the cut in 13th, and Goja Rades two points back in 14th. Yeah, both Sabre Cook and Jessica Hawkins were outside the top 12 going into this race. That is incredible. And spare a thought for Megan Gilkes, who won the reverse grid Jamie Chadwick disinvitational, <laughs> but that was her only top 10 finish of the season, and it didn't count for yeah. points. Her and Sarah Bovey were the only drivers not to score, and Shea Holbrook as well. Those were the only three. Mickey Koyama had a shocking race at Brands Hatch, bringing out the safety car, trying to do a spin turn. Oh, my goodness. I mean, Koyama's day didn't get off to a good start where uh, she had to take that drive through for the way she lined up in the grid spot. Like, she was, tr she was clearly trying to avoid, you know, not rolling down the hill, but... She she went too far forward. Esme Hockey um, had a drive-through penalty of her own, and that uh, that arguably could have cost her a place in the top twelve. <laughs> yep, where the rest of the field behind her were very skillful to avoid her stalled car. Yeah, she stalled because she realized she jumped the start in an attempt to correct the issue. The car just flat out stalled on her. Yeah, I should be very happy we didn't get a, uh, a Sebastian Saavedra incident. Oof. <laughs> so the 12 drivers that have qualified for the 2020 W Series. Jamie Chadwick, of course, Bietzka Visser, Alice Powell, Marta Garcia, Emma Kimmelainen, Fabienne, The Whirlwind, Volwend, Mickey Koyama, Sarah Moore, Vicky Puria, Tasman Pepper, Sabre Cook, and Jessica Hawkins. And it should be noted, just because they finished in the top 12 and qualified for next season doesn't mean they're obligated to return for next season. Let's talk about it, because Jamie Chadwick is by far, on a consistent basis, the best talent in that series. And one of the things that the W Series was meant to do is that, yes, there are women here who have not raced in a long time getting an opportunity to race, but you have to feel like this series, in order to be a success, would have to get someone a meaningful pathway into Formula One. Now, Chadwick is yes. already partially there because she does have a development driver role with Williams, but at the same time, many other drivers have had development driver roles with other teams, and that has not gotten them anywhere close to an F1 seat. 
Well, I guess that's what the money's for. She's now half a million dollars richer. I would, I would hope it would be enough to at least. I'll tell you what, it's it's got to be Formula Two or Formula Three at the absolute minimum for her next season. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I gut feeling, I'd say expect to see her in the international Formula Three championship next year, which would be really, really awesome to see. And if the Williams deal does not work out. She does still have those ties with Aston Martin. And I gotta say, Aston, if you're considering drivers for your hypercar program, yes. give this young woman a call. She has already been a champion in your equipment. <laughs> Nürburgring class winner in their equipment. Yes. Yeah, just this year, as a matter of fact. Bietzka Visser, she's still only in her early 20s. She was racing against the likes of Signs and Gasly and yes... I know she didn't really succeed in Formula 3.5 until after Renault and Red Bull had pulled the plug. I get that, but with her BMW ties, I feel like they've got to give her a seat in DTM at some point at the absolute minimum. Yeah, and even though, you know, we saw her face very often at the BMW Andretti garages, and it seems like they're probably going to sign Maxi Gunther next year, maybe, you know, stick around. You know, formally a bit longer. I get maybe an opportunity to come up. I, I I would hope so because it would be because the thing that critics of the W series have pointed out is that you know to them it feels like the W series is a set destination rather than a stepping stone, and I would hate for this to be the be all and end all for some drivers who clearly have aspirations and talent beyond just this developmental championship. I, I would hope I'm wrong, but I, I would love to see Chadwick and Visser get meaningful opportunities at top-tier drives, being Formula 1, WEC, Formula E, you name it, they're they're worth it. And Alice Powell, my goodness, she should not be a full-time plumber. Yeah, <laughs> she's way too fast she's, to be a plumber. She's way too good at this. Um, <laughs> she's faster than Mario. Good whoa, gracious. whoa, whoa. Of of cart fame. Wait, that was of Mario Kart fame. <laughs> I would say this. If there is ever a point where Pippa Man can no longer run the Indianapolis five hundred, um get Alice Powell in that ride. Please. Yeah. Um, all in all, I was really pleasantly surprised by the W series and you know, it seems like from reports uh, from people like F1's own Will Butston that were there. They created a really good atmosphere, and young girls were just, like, all enamored with their favorite drivers, which that's what you want. Yep. That's kind of the point of this whole exercise. That's, that's really, really, really freaking cool. And hopefully much better things will come for the years to come in 2020 and beyond. Marco Whitman and Rene Rass won the GTN races, by the way. And Rene Rass now has an even larger points lead. Because Rene Rass is Rene Fast. Yes, noted Project Cars 2 salesman, <laughs> Rene Rast. <laughs> Rene, I want my money back. <laughs> so, uh, also, it's interesting to note that, let's say someone were to go to International Formula 3 next year, in theory, based on this year's schedules... They could do both. That would be really, really, really cool. 
Because I, I believe there are some drivers who are doing International F3 and Euro Formula Open and one of the regional champions at the same time. Like, I know both of Honda's yep. juniors in F3 are doing that. Yeah, just just accruing as much seat time as possible. You don't get to stack up super license point, but you do get to stack up seat time. And that's what's really important because that's what helped Lando Norris and Max Verstappen be ready so damn quickly. Yes. Oh, man. What's on the agenda for the weekend ahead? We got IndyCar coming up at Pocono. I'll be there. You will be there. Friends of the show will be there. Former guests and co-hosts will be there. Please, please let them get home safely and let the race be good, too. But mostly, let's just hope they get home safely. Yeah. What else Uh, we got going on this weekend? I won't be here for next week's show. (laughs) Because I'll be traveling. (laughs) <laughs> I am very scared about trans Pacific flights. There's it's like, oh dear. It's like, hopefully Dre will be back next week, so it won't just be me. <laughs> we got Super Formula this weekend. Yes. At, at yes. Twin Ring Motegi. Extra, yes. British Touring Cars, German Formula 4, ADAC GT Masters, NASCAR Bristol, baby. Uh, oh yes, NASCAR at Bristol should be a I good re- one. I remember when that used to be a draw. The race itself will probably be good. The stands will probably be empty. What are you talking about? They're going to have a NASCAR YouTubers panel at the event, apparently. Uh, Define NASCAR YouTuber. Uh, <laughs> that should be fun, and we'll and we won't at all talk about the uh, shall we say the uh, the sponsorship deal that the event has. <laughs> <laughs> That's still a thing. Uh, uh, King, have we missed any important news updates since the time we started recording? Uh, let's see. The monolith has posted a brief interview with uh, Alex Albon while he's he he admits that his promotion to Red Bull feels surreal. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Tying a bow on everything again. Pierre Gasly is going down. Alex Albon is going up. Yep, and also an interview with Zach Brown talking about Alonzo's potential involvement with the McLaren IndyCar project. You know it's going to be actual involvement. You know he's going for the Triple Crown. Yeah. And uh, he said that he will be seeing Fernando at the Italian Grand Prix. I suppose we'll see what happens from there. We'll see. We'll see. All that, and as we promised, we'll have some sort of F1 half-term report. We don't know how in-depth it's going to be. And boy, developments today have really kind of altered the trajectory of this program. Uh, <laughs> but we'll have that. We'll talk uh, We'll talk Super Formula. If anything else happens, we'll break that to you. We'll talk IndyCar. And uh, thank you very, very much for listening to this episode You can, of course, listen to all episodes of Motorsport 101 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. All of our podcasts and written materials are on motorsport101.com. Social media, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, at CBuckley917. Drop the vowels. Drop the vowels is not part of Cam's Twitter handle, by the way. I just need to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> if you try searching Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks as a full Twitter handle, you're not going to get much. 
King, I think you should just sw- just squat on that Twitter handle. <laughs> it, I think it's too long to actually be a Twitter handle. Yeah. Get the rules changed. Get the rules changed. Come on, Jack, you coward. <laughs> and of course, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. We're for just $5 of your hard-earned money. You can get early access to all of the shows on the Motorsport 101 family. And for $10 a month, we will let you into our Discord supporter section to listen to each show as it's recorded. God help me why you would want to do so. Oh, who are we kidding? The Simbin is a wonderful place. And we thank everybody for listening. Our audience count includes Charles and Tony. Vincent is here. Happy six-month anniversary there. Jason, uh, Henry is here. Josette, Vikesh, and Brian are all here and have been with us throughout parts of the show. So thank you so, so much for listening, you bunch of heathens. <laughs> oh, man. Before we, before we get, before any other crazy shit happens, I, for Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King, Cam Buckley, I'm Archie O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Motorsport 101. Later, y'all. Bye. Till next time. <laughs>